But I want to talk a little bit about the subject of new beginnings, as we already mentioned. Um, and I want to use uh, our text this morning. This is just a total uh, topical type sermon type sermon that we normally don't do oftentimes as we just take books of the Bible and go through them and let God speak to us. But I want you guys to open your Bibles to the book of Lamentations. If you don't have a Bible, you can raise your hand. We have some ushers that would love to get you guys a Bible. And uh, my words this morning will be brief. Uh, Lamentations chapter 3, if you have no idea where that's at, don't feel any shame opening up to the very first book of the Bible, not Genesis, before that it's called Table of Contents, you can look up that and uh, figure out where Lamentations is at, in fact Lamentations is probably somewhere close, right smack in the middle of your Bible. Um, It's written by a guy named Jeremiah, and Lamentations really is a story of of lament, it's, it's, in a lot of ways it's it's a story that chronicles grief and loss and sadness and all the things, in a lot of ways, that you and I, we experience. Um, Jeremiah, he's the author of this book, and he writes about all of these things that he lost. Um, but what I love about this little video clip, and we'll kind of come back into that and weave that a little bit into the message in just a moment, but um, it really contains sort of this theme. The Bible is filled with a recurring uh, theme, and the theme could go something like this, life, death, and new life. That's, that's a theme, or another scholar kind of put it this way. Uh, this theme of, of orientation, disorientation, followed by reorientation. If you look at the whole Bible, the, this theme constantly recycles all the way through um, in constant stories. I mean, it's a story of, of, of um, Adam and Eve, uh, orientation. Here they are in the garden. Everything's right. The world is in peace and in shalom. And then sin enters the world, rebellion, disorientation. Their entire world comes undone. And then reorientation in chapter 3, God makes this promise that he will make all things new. Um, we see that story just cycle through, uh, in, even in the life of, of Israel. The Psalms are filled with sort of this theme of uh, orientation, disorientation, reorientation. Um, but the whole Bible really is that one constant story. God makes all things good. We as human beings, we sin, we rebel, we turn against God. Everything in their world comes undone. It frays, it falls apart. It's subjected to brokenness, to sin, to death, and all these other things. And then the hope of a new life to come, which is what we would call the ultimate new beginning. Um, the book of Genesis, or the book of uh, Revelation, I should say, ends with this promise from God to make all things new. It's what the uh, prophet John describes where he says, and I look and I beheld a brand new heavens and a new earth coming down from God and really subjecting or overtaking all that is currently known in this world, which is brokenness, sin, and death. So with that being said, I want to read uh, just this little passage or a handful of passages and think about that theme of orientation, disorientation, reorientation, or life, death, and new life out of this little passage in uh, Lamentations chapter 3. I'll read a handful of verses. If you guys have your Bible already open to that, it's great. If you don't have a Bible, whatever, uh, we'll also have these up on the screen. I'm just going to read a handful of selected verses out of this great passage and see how this all ties into the subject of new beginnings. It starts off in uh, Lamentations chapter 3, verse 1. He says this, I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. So his, he's referring to his God. A um, little bit of a backstory: Jeremiah is a prophet, uh, which oftentimes these guys were seen as sort of poets slash prophets, people that spoke for God. Uh, Jeremiah is living in a time frame where 
Uh, there was this big, massive empire called the Babylonians. If you're at all familiar with any form of like ancient history, you know that the Babylonian empire was this massive empire, really large, really powerful, really uh, full of kind of terrorists, if you would think about it that way. Well, the Roman or the uh, Babylonian Empire came and completely subjected and destroyed um, uh, Israel. And Jeremiah was living there in Israel during this particular time. And the, the most sacred, most special, uh, if you think of it this way, landmark that defined Israel. Um, does anybody know what that landmark would have been? Defined Israel? Any guesses? Temple. The temple would have been the very center of, of Israeli life. It would have not just simply been the center of their religion. It also would have been the center of their social life. Everything was ordered and organized around this thing called the temple. Well, the Babylonians completely raised it, destroyed it, crushed it, ruined it. And everything that was part of the temple was actually stolen and carried off to Babylon. So you imagine the temple had all these like uh, exceptionally uh, uh, valuable types of utensils made out of gold and silver and all sorts of precious stones and uh, you would imagine if it were to be valued today, it was like millions, perhaps billions of dollars worth of, of precious metals would have been stolen by the Babylonians. So Jeremiah was basically watching his entire city uh, be completely destroyed. In particular, this landmark be completely destroyed. In other words, if you want to think of it this way, uh, this was the equivalent of Jeremiah's 9-11. Or this was, this was Jeremiah's 9-11. This is what Jeremiah would have gone through. It would have been... The way we sat around on our television scene, uh, screens watching um, literally the, the very center in a lot of ways, what, what depicted capitalism in America, what depicted you know, the wealth and the value, it was a landmark in America that kind of symbolized America's greatness, uh, were completely destroyed and ruined. That's what Jeremiah was going through. In other words, his, but so now as he's watching his entire city go to ruins, He's processing this, and he's thinking about this, and, and yet here's what he says. So just listen to it again. Start at verse 1 again. It says, I am a man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. So who is he attributing the destruction to or seeing this come from? from? From Yahweh, from God. So he's looking at this, and he's like, God, I'm, I'm sitting here watching, observing my city, my homeland, my territory, my security, my world literally come undone uh, at your hand. And it gets more descriptive. In verse 2, he says, He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. So again, uh, the question is, who is Jeremiah really wrestling with in the midst here? Like, like who is he looking at and saying, this tragedy, this challenge, this difficulty is coming from whose hand? Guesses? From God. It's pretty clear about that. He's like, Yahweh, God, you, you, you somehow are connected to this, or at least you have the power to stop it, and it's not being stopped. And so he's looking at this as he's wrestling with God through all of this. And then it goes on from verse 4 to 9. I won't read it. Um, but there's a series of he. It's a reference to God. I'll just read a couple of them. He says this, He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. Jump down about verse 10. We'll have a slide for this. Uh, verse 10, he says this. He, Yahweh, God. Listen how descriptive he gets. He, Yahweh, is a bear lying in wait for me. A lion in hiding. He, Yahweh, turned aside my steps and he tore me into pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and he set 
uh, me as a target for his arrow. So think about this. So here's Jeremiah wrestling with this tragedy in his life. All right, so he's, he's, he's going through a season of grief, uh, which stems from loss. What did he lose? He lost everything, all right? His nation was completely decimated and destroyed. The very symbol of religious life was completely ruined and gone, and it's, doesn't, it, it's no longer there. So Jeremiah is watching all this and wrestling with all this and trying to ponder and figure this and make sense out of all this type of situation in his life. Maybe some of you guys are going through something like that right now, where you're trying to make sense of great loss uh, that has led to grief, that has led to frustration, that's led to questions. Let me just say this. Um, God is big enough to handle our questions. He's big enough to handle our questions. Um, See, oftentimes what we do when we go through moments of disorientation, like Jeremiah was going through, um, sometimes we default to what... A lot of modern-day evangelicalism likes to do, which is just sort of act as if everything's okay. Just act as if everything's all right. So what we do is we get together in little church gatherings like this, and people ask, how are you doing? We're like, I'm, I'm, I'm doing great. In reality, you're not doing great. Your life is falling apart. It's coming undone. You feel horrible. You just want to run and hide, and yet you act as if everything's okay, and it's not okay. And I would suggest it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to wrestle with God. It's exactly what Jeremiah is doing. He's wrestling with the fact that everything that he has known, everything his life has been oriented toward, has literally come undone. His entire world that was full of security, full of hope, full of life, full of worship to Yahweh because of the temple, full of society, working together, functioning together, now is literally gone. It's non-existent. And he's turning to the one thing, one person, that he thinks can somehow help him. But the way he's dialoguing with God or talking to God is like, God, this is all from you. You've caused this. You're like a bear. Imagine describing God like that. God, you are a bear sitting in wait to crush me. Imagine that. Imagine being so honest with God to just say, God, this is how I feel right now. I feel like everything in my life is wired in such a way that you are crushing me. That's what Jeremiah felt like. And I love the honesty that he's able to basically describe to God. But then here's the thing. Jeremiah doesn't stay here. It, Jeremiah recognizes it's a matter of like dealing with some of these things with God, but he doesn't stay there. And he goes on to say in verse 16, it says, he has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes and my soul is bereft of peace I've forgotten what happiness is, so I say, my endurance has perished, so has my hope from the Lord. So again, Jeremiah is kind of at the most bleakest moment of his life as he's sort of writing this stuff out, as he's pondering it, as he's thinking it through, as he's processing his reality of loss, and then his grief in response to his loss, and he's like, God, my faith, my confidence in you is just... It's wobbly, it's crushed, it's bereft. My heart has kind of forgotten completely what anything in terms of life is all about. But in verse 19 is sort of this transitional point. He goes on, he says, Remember my affliction, my wanderings, the wormwood and my gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. So in other words, he's thinking about the fact that not only has his city been destroyed, but he's also realizing, like, 
because I'm a citizen of the city, I've lost everything. And God, I, I just feel like my face is in the dust and my soul has turned to wormwood. It's this, this bitter root is what he's describing. Bitterness is how he would define his life. Now, here's where the whole, if you want to think of it this way, like a pivot point comes in verse 21. It says, but this I will call to mind, and therefore, listen, key word, I will have hope. There's an important distinction here, because what Jeremiah is not doing is he's not just trying to simply act as if everything is okay in his life. He's basically trying to remind himself, which is what he says, I will remember something. So the key to being reoriented has something to do with remembering, all right? So if you're in a place, or if you will be in a place in 2016, uh, and you will find yourself in a moment where your life is completely disoriented, things are coming and done or have come and done, you find yourself in a place where you are wondering which end is up, the act of reorientation comes by way of process of remembering, remembering something. And here's what Jeremiah does. And if, as, as we read through this, I want you to think about this. What Jeremiah does is he basically is going to be going through a series of passages where he's talking to himself. But you've got to listen to how he talks to himself. I, I describe it this way sometimes where I say, as a Christian, one of the best things that you can do is to learn to preach the gospel to yourself. You've got to learn how to be a good preacher to yourself. You've got to speak to yourself the truths of God. And this is what Jeremiah does. And we see him kind of walking through this process. Again, verse 21, he says, but this I will call to mind, and therefore I will have hope. So he goes on to describe. He says, it's the steadfast love of the Lord that never ceases. So the first thing he starts off by just simply describing or identifying God's steadfast love never ceases for me. So the word that he uses here is actually a really profound word. It's a word that there is no direct translation into the English. Um, it's the word steadfast love. It's actually two words there in our English, but it's really one word in Hebrew. It's the word chesed. It's a word that sometimes appears as covenantal faithfulness of God. It's a word that basically means that God's commitment to his covenantal people, his people that he's covenanted with, will never, never, ever, ever fail. No matter how far we may feel as if we've drifted, no matter how far broken we might feel, no matter how fragile our lives might feel as if it's become, no matter how dark the season, no matter how much we've wandered, it doesn't matter. The idea here is that God's covenantal faithfulness will never cease. If our love fails, if our love grows weary, if our love cools down, if it's nothing more than just a little flicker or a faint glimmer of light, if that's all that our love for God in any way, shape, or form looks like or appears to be right now, you got to understand something, that God's love for you is not dependent upon how much love or how much affection or how much commitment you give towards God. That's what he's saying, is that God, your love, your covenantal faithfulness for me never ceases. And what he's saying is that by reminding myself of this love of God for me, it's picking my heart up in the midst of its devastation. It's disorientation. And God is lifting him is what he's describing. He goes on to say, he says, your mercies for me never end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, he says, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Again, think about this. He's like, he's like again, this is like a very clear description of him talking to himself. As he's saying, 
says my soul. It's like my soul is speaking to myself. So don't ever think it's weird to talk to yourself. I mean, in some cases it may be weird to talk to yourself, but if you're a Christian, you need to learn to talk to yourself. Like, like that's what a Christian is. Someone that believes and follows God is one that learns to talk to himself. That's what, exactly what Jeremiah is doing. But he's talking to himself about the greatness of God, the covenantal faithfulness of God. He says, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for the man that he bear the yoke of his youth. In verse 28, he says, let him sit alone in silence when it is laid upon him. Let him put his hand in, or his mouth in the dust that he may yet hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes and let him be filled with insults. So really what Jeremiah, I think, is saying here is that, look, there's going to be moments we will go through, moments of disorientation. That will happen. Uh, it may be happening right now in your life. It may happen at some point in 2016. But don't lose sight of the fact that in spite of all that, there's not a hope for new beginnings. Again, this is a story. If you're a follower of Jesus, you will find yourself in. You'll find yourself in a long series uh, of regular series, perhaps, of life, death, and new life, all right? Or of orientation, disorientation, and reorientation. But the question is, is how will you get to that point of reorientation or new life? And this is what Jeremiah is doing. This is what we see, is that it's a matter of reminding yourself, preaching the good news to yourself of God's covenantal faithfulness is what he's doing. It's not denying it. It's not turning away from it. It's not uh, acting as if you're not going through hard times. It's not putting on a big fake smile on your face and acting as if everything's okay. It's okay to be not okay. As a church family, that's, it's, it's okay. We have to like give ourselves the recognition that that's okay to not be okay. But what happens is that if we deny our own challenges and hardships and coming undone-ness, that's a word, is we never find ourselves coming back into this rhythm of reorientation or new life. And this is one of the reasons why Jeremiah says this, again, reminding this, he says, let him give his cheek to the one who strikes, in other words, let him uh, be filled with insults, for the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he has caused grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast Love. So what Jeremiah is basically saying is that, look, God, your hand may in some way be guiding, leading me through all of this disorientation, but I know somehow, some way, because you are a compassionate God, because you are steadfast in your covenantal faithfulness, you will not forever cast me off. Question is, how do we know about God's covenantal faithfulness? Like, in other words, maybe another question to ask is, how great is God's covenantal faithfulness? So, Jeremiah was writing this long before the entire New Testament was ever written. So, in other words, Jeremiah was writing this based upon very limited facts or information that he had about God. If I can put it this way, Jeremiah's revelation of God was not even nearly as complete as your revelation of God. Some of you might be like, how do I know that my revelation of God was greater than Jeremiah's? Because we live in light of this thing called the New Testament, all right, or of Jesus. So the question is, how do we know how great God's covenantal faithfulness is? How do we know about God's steadfast love? In other words, to maybe put it this way, 
how great is God's covenantal faithfulness to us? And it's not until we get to the New Testament that we see how great God's love is. In other words, to what extent God would go to demonstrate his love for us. Okay, at the end of that little video that we watched, hopefully you guys caught it, because to me it was one of the most profound images of that video. And every time I see that or read that in years past, it's just like, it kills me because it's so profound. But the image of this bow, right, we call it a rainbow, like none of us are archers, some of us might be, but most of us probably aren't, my guess would be. And so we don't really know too much about archery, but the reality is, think about a bow. That's what it was. It was a rainbow. It was a bow, like an archer's bow in the sky. So when they would have looked up at that and saw that, it would have looked like an archery bow. But the way the video describes as the conclusion is, it's a bow that's not facing down towards us as if to release the trigger, however you want to describe it, and kill us or crush us. But it was a bow that's actually pointed at heaven, at the heart of heaven. And what we see in Jesus is the extent of God's covenantal faithfulness. How far would God go to keep covenant with broken, sinful, messed up people? People that are living lives of disorientation? That's where we come and we see Jesus. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, Jesus took bread. He breaks it, gives it to his disciples. He says, this is my body which is broken for you. I will undergo the most profound disorientation for you. So that you who are disoriented in the midst of your own sin and brokenness and questions and confusion can find reorientation. That you can be given life. You be given resurrection. That you can be given hope. And this is what we see with Jesus. Jesus says, I'm making a brand new covenant with you. So for us, really what a Christian is, a new beginning is not so much us getting new toys or new stuff but really finding ourselves renewed in the life of God. And that path of being reoriented comes by way when the Holy Spirit begins to open our minds and our thoughts, reawaken our imagination to the love of God. That's what a Christian is. So as we go into 2016, all right, i got to wrap things up here, but as we go into 2016, as we find ourselves sort of with this hope, with this eagerness of like, I want something new, new beginnings, well, my hope and is, is for you or to pass along to you would be that as we go into 2016, and as you may find yourselves either currently in moments of disorientation or at some point in 2016 coming undone as a result of brokenness or your own sin or things being done against you that you can't even imagine where the sources might be coming from, but at the end of the day, as you begin to wrestle with these things and God, why am I going through these things and what is... What's your plan for me in the midst of all these things? As you question and you wrestle with God, just know that it's okay. God is big enough to handle our big questions. But learn from how Jeremiah processes, in which he takes everything back to the covenantal faithfulness of God. And like I said, Jeremiah was calculating the covenantal faithfulness of God long before the covenantal faithfulness of God was completely realized through Jesus. So for us as Christians, looking back, we can look back upon to what extent, how great, the magnitude, if you would, of how great is God's covenantal faithfulness. It's so great, it can be summarized in one name, Jesus, God with us. So my hope is that that would be what reorients our heart. It's the Holy Spirit that brings and awakens our minds and our thoughts and our imaginations to the extent of God's love. 
So as we go into 2016, think about the greatness of Christ and his love and his sacrifice for you, of what he's done for you. That's what the Bible would describe as good news, that God hasn't abandoned you, he hasn't turned his back on you, he hasn't turned his bow against you. He really hasn't. You may feel like it. You may think that God is like a bear crouching in the bush, waiting to trample you and to crush you, but he's not. He's absolutely not. His bow is not against you. He absorbed the pain of his own bow through Christ on the cross. To the degree that you remind yourself of that, and really even more so to the degree that you actually believe that by faith, in other words, receive that, it changes the way that you view God. From being a warrior out to crush you and destroy you, or a bear out to pounce upon you, to a father that actually wants to love you and draw you near. Not alienate you, but draw you near to love you, to give you hope, to give you strength. So we're going to finish, and we're going to sing, we're going to respond. So why don't we all stand, and we'll respond by, uh, as we every, do every week, by partaking communion as a reminder of the extent of God's rich, great love for us through Christ. We eat the bread, we drink the cup. It's a reminder of the fact that Jesus' body was broken, his blood was spilled for us. In other words, he was undone so that we are who are living our lives in various moments of being undone and broken, can actually be put back together again. Our lives can become whole through God. Uh, we'll respond by singing. We'll respond by praying, worshiping God. But let me, uh, let me pray for us. Let's sing a couple songs, and then we'll wrap things up. Sound good? So God, thank you so much for your great love. Uh, as we respond right now, God, we just respond with gratitude. I'm going to read this final verse, uh, Lamentations. He finishes this little section here in verse 40. Just read it. You can just listen, meditate upon it. He says this, Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. Let us lift up our hearts and our hands to the God of heaven. So God, let that be our response. Let us return to you. God, rather than wandering, rather than running, rather than turning away, God, and our backs are to you, God, I pray that our faces would be to you. May we lift up our voices, we lift up our songs, we lift up our hands as as an act of defiance against rebellion. We say we don't want to be rebellious, but also as an act of, of love and affection towards you, where, God, we say that we love you, we thank you. So Holy Spirit, come. We welcome you now. Come in this place. Renew, restore, reveal Jesus to our hearts. Remind us, God, of your great love.